morning, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Jim, and if I've never met you before, I'd love to meet you after the service today. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's going to be on page 887. Cognitive behavioral therapy. That's right, we're starting with therapy this morning. I'll be available afterwards. I have a very big notebook, and I can write all sorts of things in it. Four basic steps. Identify the troubling situations or conditions in your life. Identify what's going wrong. Number two, become aware of your thoughts, emotions, and beliefs about these problems. Maybe you're not seeing the truth for what it is. Maybe there are just so much emotions around these ideas or events. So become aware of those. Number three, identify negative or inaccurate thinking. Evaluate how you are feeling, how you are thinking. And then number four, reshape negative or inaccurate thinking. So the way to change is to identify, evaluate, and then if necessary, change. This is one of the great tools we have if you want to change your behavior. It's a great tool. The reason I bring it up this morning is that oftentimes people look at something like cognitive behavioral therapy and equate it with Christianity. That in Christianity you identify what is wrong and not good and then you change your thinking and you are a better person. Now on one hand this does happen in Christianity. You read the Bible, and where you see that you are acting differently, you evaluate what you're doing and change how you live. But in one sense, it is a completely wrong way to think about our faith. So many reduce Christianity to behavioral change, and in doing so, miss the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christianity is more than being the best you you can be. <laughs> it is more than finding your best life now. In fact, Christianity is about finding new life in Christ. Today as we look at John chapter 3, I want us to see that Jesus doesn't just offer you a better you. He doesn't offer you 2.0. What he offers is a completely new you. And part of that is understanding you don't just need a better you. You need to be a completely new person. So our big idea this morning, if you're following along in your outline provided in the bulletin, is this. We must be born again through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, parts of John 3 this morning will be very familiar to some of you who have been in church for a while. And let me give this warning about John 3 as we enter into studying God's Word. 
In some ways, the big ideas of John 3 are quite easy to understand and to see. Sometimes the details of John 3 can be quite difficult. So we're going to walk through some of those details and come to a better understanding of what Jesus is saying when he says, you must be born again. So let's start looking at verses 1 and 2 of John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So John chapter 3 opens by meeting a man named Nicodemus. We're told he is a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. He is educated, he is pious, and he is a leader among his people. We're talking to someone in the upper echelons of the current Jewish society at that time. Now, I want to point out, because it's always a question I get asked, is why does John mention that he comes at night? And this is a fact about Nicodemus that gets repeated when he is introduced in other stories. Now, outside of the fact that, that this is literally when it happened, and that John is accurately retelling the story, many other commentators point to that John mentions this detail, he doesn't make it up, but that he mentions it, is to say something about who Nicodemus was. You see, throughout the book of John, we see a progression in Nicodemus. We see slowly and surely, Nicodemus changes his opinions and his views of Jesus. And oftentimes in the book of John, darkness is used to describe spiritual darkness. And so Nicodemus comes and talks to Jesus. In John chapter 7, verses 50 and 51, Nicodemus, as a, one of the leaders of the Jews, stands up that Jesus should at least have a trial before they try to get rid of him. Again, you see the needle moving a little bit. And finally, Nicodemus shows up in John chapter 19, verses 38 to 42, and he is one of the people with Joseph of Arimathea who takes the body of Jesus down from the cross. And so we see throughout the book of John, and I think it begins by recognizing that Nicodemus is in the dark about who Jesus is, but by the end, he has come to faith in Christ as the Savior. It's a neat little study. But let's look now at this first story of Nicodemus. We see that Nicodemus comes with politeness and respect, calling Jesus rabbi, which just means teacher. And he says, We know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now again, as I've pointed out before, what has always been interesting to me is that the opponents of Jesus, even the opponents, never question that he did miracles. They would question where he got the power to do miracles. And what Nicodemus is saying 
is that we see the miracles you're doing. Therefore, you must be connected to God some way. As an educated man, Nicodemus is open to his options about who Jesus is, and he rightly sees that Jesus is doing miracles. But what's interesting is that, in one sense, Nicodemus feels that he can evaluate Jesus. There's a little bit of pomp in his statement. We know that you are a teacher come from God. There's a certain sense of, I can look at this and I can evaluate who you are. But on the other hand, we see in this statement, there's a desire to know more. A desire to see, well, who are you really? Jesus will respond in verses 3 and 4. Follow along as I read. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now what's interesting, again, to sort of see Jesus and Nicodemus in this dialogue, Jesus responds to Nicodemus' words of, we know, with his own statement, well, truly, truly, I say to you. Jesus is exerting his authority. But there's always a question of why does Jesus talk about being born again when Nicodemus didn't ask about being born again? <laughs> he didn't say anything about the kingdom of God. One commentator writes about this, the Lord answered not his words, but his thoughts. Jesus, in a sense, changes the subject and tells him that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In one sense, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you're not asking the right questions. And you don't even know which question to ask. <laughs> again, this is a leader of the Jews, a teacher among the people, as we'll see more specifically later, and Jesus is saying, look, you're not even asking the right questions of who I am. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says he cannot see the kingdom of God? In the Bible, seeing the kingdom of God or later entering the kingdom of God is one way to talk about being in relationship with God, being one of God's people. The metaphor is God is the king and we are one of his people. We belong to him. What Jesus is saying here is that I'm more than just a teacher. I am here to show you how to be in relationship with the God of the universe. I am here to tell you how to be reconciled, how a sinful person can be reconciled to a holy God. And the answer to that is not just being taught, but it is being born again. Now one interesting thing about the word born again there is that it can also mean born from above. And I think the vagueness in there is intentional by God to help us understand that to be born again is to be born from above. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit. Verse 4 
is tricky because you'd think that an educated man would understand a metaphor when he was said to him. But Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Scholars debate on why he would say this because, again, he was an educated man and he knew what a metaphor was. Most scholars think that the idea here is that he is using an absurd question to deflect Jesus. That he's not ready to understand what it means to be born again through Jesus. But that he almost, in a sense, makes a joke about what Jesus says so he doesn't have to give it the serious thought that Jesus wants him to. In one sense, we see this as a defensive mechanism. We see this all the time where you are trying to talk to someone about deeper things, about the things of God, and they dismiss you with humor to give you the idea, look, I don't want to talk about this. But Jesus... Jesus is not daunted by this. Jesus does not take this deflection and walk away. And Jesus continues on verse 5 to 6, using Nicodemus' own Bible against him. Let's look at verses 5 and 6 here. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Again, Jesus begins a statement with his phrase, truly, truly, I say to you, pointing to the importance, pointing us to the importance that we need to listen to what he is saying. And instead of saying, be born again, Jesus substitutes another phrase, born of the water and the Spirit. Now again, what does that mean? Isaac, go ahead and do the next slide. I think the best answer comes from the Old Testament, comes from the Bible that Nicodemus would have had. He was a Jew. He believed in what we call the Old Testament. And in Ezekiel 36, I think Jesus is alluding to this passage here to help him understand what he's saying. Because Nicodemus would have known this passage. He was a smart guy. Later, he gets called the teacher of Israel. Okay, so he knows his Bible. Listen to Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So here we see to have new life is in a sense, it's like being cleaned with water and then given new life through the Spirit of God. And so when Jesus says, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, that is to be cleaned from your sin and brought to life through the Spirit of God. Again, what Jesus is calling for is not just a better Nicodemus. 
He's calling for a brand new Nicodemus. If you want to be a part of God's people, you have to have a completely new life through Jesus. You can't just obey more. You can't just do more. You need to be new. Then we get to verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. What is this telling us here? It's telling us that you cannot make yourself new. Again, you cannot improve your life so much that you become new again. This new birth, this new life must come through the Holy Spirit. To be born again, to receive the new life that we need to be in relationship with God must come from outside of us. It must come from the very Spirit of God. Now I love Jesus' response in verses 7 and 8. After he says this, he turns to Nicodemus again and says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Again, in verse 7, Jesus repeats this command, you must be born again. There's a wonderful story about George Whitfield. If you remember George Whitfield from your American history class, he was one of the preachers of the First Great Awakening happening in, in uh, the years 1730 to 1755. The story goes this way. A lady comes up to George Whitfield and asks him, why do you always preach on the words, you must be born again? Apparently she wanted a little more variety. And Georgie boy just kept going to the same old passage. So why do you keep preaching on the words, you must be born again, Whitfield apparently, or legendarily replied perhaps, because madam, you must. (laughs) There is an insistence with Jesus here. He does not back down from the man who is both powerful and educated and even to a man who knows his Bible probably better than any of us here. Even he must be born again. And because he is a teacher and a leader among his people, he should not be surprised. (laughs) Jesus in verse 8 then talks about the wind. And what you need to know about the word wind, in the original language, I don't often talk about this, but it's important here, the word for wind, breath, and spirit are all the same. Okay, so same word, but we know from context what English word to use. Okay? So, Jesus talks about the wind here, but keep in mind, when he ends by talking about the Spirit, he's using the same word. So he's helping us create a metaphor here. 
So verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So he takes the facts about wind. You can't see the wind, and you can't control it. You can't say, hey, wind, go over there and blow over there. You can't do that. But how do you know it's windy? You look outside, you see the trees bending back and forth, you see the leaves flipping over. So then he says, in the same way is those born of the Spirit. So what does that mean about what it means to be born of the Spirit? First thing, you are not in control. Being born again is done to you, just like being born. It's an activity that is done to you and outside of your control. But also, as one writer says, when the Spirit works, the effects are undeniable and unmistakable. When Jesus changes you, he changes you. When he gives you new life, you are no longer who you were. And you can see the effects of that change and they are undeniable and unmistakable. But I also want to point you to another Old Testament passage that I think helps us understand what it means that being born of the Spirit is like the wind. And that it comes from Ezekiel 37. So if earlier Jesus was talking about Ezekiel 36, now he talks about Ezekiel 37, which is, if you remember from Sunday school when you were younger, the story of the dry bones. Let me read to you part of that story. This is verses 10 and 14 of Ezekiel 37. So I prophesied as God commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet and an exceedingly great army. And God speaks in verse 14, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it. You see, even in the Old Testament, God was preparing his people to understand that they needed new life through his spirit. But here's the question, how does that happen? How do we receive the new life that Jesus offers? So let's turn to verses 9 and 11 of John chapter 3. Because this is the same question that Nicodemus has. Follow along as I read. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak on what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Nicodemus asked the question, how can these things be? Or translate another way, how can these things happen? How can a person be reborn? Now, Jesus is going to directly answer that in verses 14 and 15. But in these verses in between, 
There's a rebuke. Now again, you might not expect this from Jesus, but you need to see what it is right here. Verse 10, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Jesus is telling Nicodemus, this has been in your Bible the whole time. Again, their Bible is what we call the Old Testament. It's been there the whole time, and you are in fact even a teacher. Which, which that phrase there might have actually been a, an office that he held in the country. But why doesn't he understand? Look at verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Now think back to what Nicodemus said when he first saw Jesus. He says, we know you're a teacher come from God. Look what Jesus says in verse 11 there. We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. In the beginning, Nicodemus approaches Jesus as the authority, but Jesus is teaching Nicodemus here that he is not the one in authority. Even the teacher of Israel needs to come to Jesus as a student. And in these verses in between Nicodemus's question and Jesus' answer in verses 14 to 15, we see Jesus help him to understand that to come to Jesus is to come with humility and faith. Jesus continues his critique of Nicodemus and saying, we've, we've told you, but you do not receive our testimony. You don't know because you do not have the ears of faith. Jesus continues on in verses 12 and 13 to to show that Nicodemus needs to listen to him. And by putting this in here, John is telling us the same thing. You need to listen to Jesus. Look at verses 12 and 13. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus says, if you won't accept the basic truths that I tell you, like you must be born again, that's the earthly things, how are you going to accept anything else that I say? Jesus is calling Nicodemus to faith in himself. He's saying, listen to me. He's telling you, listen to me. Because I'm not just a teacher. Look at verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he's referring to, again to his Old Testament. He's referring to Daniel 7 verses 13 and 14. And the picture is of God himself as a man in Daniel 7. Again, Jesus is educating the teacher of Israel. I'm more than a teacher, which is what Nicodemus said in the first couple verses. I am God himself. This is backed up with the words 
where he says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, which is most likely an allusion to Proverbs chapter 30, verses 4 and 5. Listen to this description of God from the book of Proverbs. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Jesus is saying, listen to me. I'm not just a rabbi. I'm the son of God. I'm the one who has come down from heaven. And I am the one saying to you, you must be born again. And then in verses 14 and 15, Jesus shows us how we are born again. Look at 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Again, Jesus refers to the Old Testament. He talks about Moses, who is a character from the Old Testament that many of you know, and a time where he took a serpent and lifted it up. This is a reference to a story we find in the book of Numbers. Let me read to you from Numbers chapter 21, verses 8 to 9. So before, before this quote, let me just say, the people have rebelled against God, they've sinned against God, and God sends as discipline on them poisonous snakes. And they start biting the people, and the people start dying because of the poisonous snake bites. And then in verses 8 to 9, And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So how is Jesus like a snake on a pole? Let's think about it. People had sinned against God and therefore were in danger of death. The punishment for their sin were these poisonous snakes and when the snake bit you, you were going to die. But God offered a way to be saved from death, saved from the consequences of that sin and he told Moses to make a snake sculpture to lift it up, and when the people looked, they would live. Now, it's not because the snake was magical. We need to think, why? Why would God say, if you look on this, you will live? When the people would look, it was not the magic of the snake, but it's because they believed the promise of God. And so looking on the snake was an act of faith, believing what God had said. 
So to be saved from death and the consequences of their sins, they would believe God with the eyes of faith to look on this snake. Now, let's think about Jesus. Because of our sin, we are separated from God and therefore under the condemnation of eternal death. But God said, if you look on Jesus with faith, you will be saved from death. And just like the snake was lifted up, so too Jesus was lifted up on a cross. And so when we look on Jesus in faith, we are saved and brought to new life. Look at verse 15. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. may be born again. The new life that you need is offered through Christ. To be born again is to place your faith in Jesus Christ. And when you do, you are not just saved for now, but you are saved forever. And you have the hope of eternal life. By being, by believing in Jesus and his death on the cross, we're saved from death and condemnation and raised to new life with Christ. You must be born again. Let me close with two applications this morning. Number one is this. Humbly listen to Jesus as the teacher, as the authority. So much of this story is helping Nicodemus understand he is not the authority evaluating Jesus, (laughs) but he needs to come humbly before Jesus. Too often we want to be the ones to evaluate Jesus, to to conform him to our image or what he, we want him to be. But that is prideful and arrogant and will not work. We need to be changed by what he says and what he does. There's a certain simplicity to it. If Jesus is saying and doing one thing and you're doing the other, guess what? You're the one that's wrong. Because he's not, he's, he's a teacher, but he's so much more. He's the son of God come to earth. And the second application is that you need to place your trust in Jesus Christ so that you can be born again. What I want you to understand this morning is if the solution to be born is to be born again, then that also tells us about the problem. If our problem is that we're just not good enough and that maybe we're at an 85 and we need to be a 90, if that's the problem, if we need to just be a little bit better, then we don't need to be born again we can just be better at following the commands of God's word. We can just be better at following rules. But if the solution to the problem is new life, 
is being born again by the Spirit of God, that means the problem is so much more serious. And I think that's often where we go wrong, where we don't understand the seriousness of the problem. You don't need to be better. You need to be new. And the Bible's very clear about that. You are a sinner separated from God. And what you need to be to be reconciled to God is you need to be brand new. And that can only happen through the power of the Spirit which comes when we believe in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Again, while some of the details of John 3 are complicated and can be hard to to walk through, the main point is very clear. You must be born again. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for John chapter 3 and the story of Jesus and Nicodemus that we would today understand our need for a Savior. That we would understand what it means that we must be born again. That we must repent of our sin and place our trust in Jesus who died and rose again so that we could be forgiven and have the hope of eternal life. God, I pray that we would respond to that truth this morning. And that we would come to Jesus as humble students and learn we must be born again. Amen. stand as we uh, close our service. I stand.